You're listening to episode 135 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? Guess what? Today's episode is brought to you by FabFitFun. If you don't already know about them, it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Be sure to hang around at the end of the show so I can tell you more about my own experience with their box and listen closely for the special discount just for our storytellers. A special thank you to our listener, Just James Writes, who recently left a review for us on iTunes and said, Why can't I give this 10 stars? How have I not reviewed 88 Cups of Tea yet? This podcast completely stole my heart from the first time I tuned in. Yin is such a thoughtful and positive host, and her care and dedication shines through in every episode. Hearing so many of my favorite storytellers discuss their experiences and often unpack their own struggles gives me much-needed hope and inspiration as an author seeking publication. 88 Cups is truly a blessing for writers and creatives who need encouragement, joy, and a reminder that they're not alone in their journey. Wow. Thank you so much for writing that incredibly thoughtful and awesome review. I appreciate you taking the time to write all of those kind words, and I am so happy to have you in our community. Now on to our guest, we have Saba Tahir on the show for the second time. She's the first guest in the history of 88 Cups of Tea that we brought back again. Saba is the number one New York Times bestselling author of An Ember in the Ashes and its sequel, A Torch Against the Night. Her highly anticipated third book, A Reaper at the Gates, just released this week. In today's episode, we catch up where we left off from her very first episode, and we discuss her balance of expectations of deadlines and how long it actually takes to craft her stories. We deep dive into the day-to-day of parenthood and the professional life, and Saba shares how she stays intentional with her parenting. We discuss our immigrant parents' resilience and dedication to provide a better life for their children and the challenges after challenges they faced along the way. Saba shared memories of racism and bigotry growing up and how crucial it is to stand up for what's right and stand firm against the status quo with those closest to you and how just one person really can make a life-changing difference and we talk about ways you can be that person for someone else. Towards the end of the episode, we touch on the distinction between honesty and kindness and the different situations they're called for. This episode is a really special one, and we talk about things that really hit right at home, and I'm so excited for you to jump into the conversation. So let's dive right in. Hey, everyone. Uh, we have Sabata here with us again. She's the very first guest that's coming back for the second episode on 88 Cups of Tea, and we were just chatting a little bit before we started recording, and uh, we were talking about how she's making 88 Cups of Tea history with us. So Saba, thank you so much for coming back. And it's so awesome to have you here with us again. Thank you. I'm so excited. I feel so honored. Um, (laughs) I'm special. You are making my day. So I'm happy to be here. 
Thank you. You're making all of our days. So uh, I remember the first episode, we got into uh, more about your background and growing up in the Mojave Desert, which was so, um, what a beautiful story, and about your work at the Washington Post. And we even talked about an ember in the ashes, like how Washington Post inspired an ember in the ashes. How has everything been since you were last on the show? Like, wh- how's life? How What's going on? <laughs> so I have written an Ember in the Ashes now, A Torch Against the Night, which is book two, and my forthcoming book out on June 12th, which is A Reaper at the Gates. So I would say I've probably like murdered a lot of fake people since the last time we talked. (laughs) Okay, so how has that been? Was it very difficult for you? It's been, um, it's been tricky, I think, to balance the expectations of deadlines with Mm. how long a book actually takes me to write. And that is something that I've been fortunate in that my publishing house, my publisher, have really been very uh, understanding of the time that it takes me to write these books. They're pretty big books. They're complicated. So they've been really wonderful about that. But I myself have struggled with, you know, being okay with basically blowing deadlines, (laughs) you know, like, yes, that's hard for me. And so, um, you know, I'm Asian, like, we're used to, <laughs> you know, being like an overachiever. And so like, when you're messing with your deadlines, it's like, Oh, my God, I suck. Yes, it's like the end of the world. It's like the end of the world. And so that's been a little bit tricky. But I think that uh, it's been worth it. Considering, you know, the books, I think they are much better books, because I've taken the time to get them right. So I am thankful for that. And other than that, it's just been all about touring and being on the road and balancing sort of life at home with life when I'm away. So it's 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 tricky stuff, but it's all very personal and it depends so much on, you know, support of family and friends, which fortunately I have. So pretty lucky. You know, what's so inspiring is that you're like a do it all kind of human being where you have your incredibly successful series that you've been working on. And also you're a kick-ass mom (laughs) and a person who shows up for the family. So since the last time that we've talked together, I've also gotten to know the listeners more and the community more. And I see we have so many listeners who are parents who I I honestly don't even know how. I know this is such a silly statement because I don't have children myself. It just always blows my mind when guests like you and listeners share a story that they're able to do all these things, but still show up and be present with their kids, especially because that's something that really speaks to me and resonates with me because my mom and dad had to sacrifice a lot, first of all, coming to this country for opportunities. And then for me, I'm privileged because they did all the work before me to give me what I have today, or at least build from that foundation that they've already built for me. There were so many sacrifices that were made, especially on my mom's behalf with a lot of expectations. You would understand from the Asian background and upbringing that women are expected Mm -hmm. to have certain roles. Right. For you as a mom, balancing all of this, and I don't, I guess balancing out, I'm still like kind of figuring out if that's the right word to use, but you're able to uh, do all of what you do and still be this mom who's so present. Like how, how has that been? Has that been difficult? Has that been a struggle or has that come more naturally? You know, even just, I'm just remembering our conversation the first time about how you were raised by your parents too. So I wonder if you took anything from that and like, we're like, okay, now this is how I'm going to parent now that I'm a parent. 
I think it's un- <laughs> I think it's been much more sort of ha- like slapdash than that. There's definitely I think I know a lot of parents, particularly where I live in Silicon Valley, who are extremely intentional about their parenting, and I am mm-hmm. like not one of them. <laughs> I sort of I sort of careen through parenting, being like, hopefully this works out, um, and that can be good, you know, when we do unexpected things like go get mochi ice cream at um, eleven o'clock at night, and it can Hell be yeah. bad when there's you know an event that I'm supposed to attend and I completely forget. So I would say that. I definitely struggle with that balance and I want to make sure that that readers know or listeners know that it is sort of a daily struggle, not just for me, also for my husband. Um, Mm. So to make it clear, we are both kind of in the same place where we really want to be able to sort of be there for our kids the way maybe our parents didn't get the opportunity to because yeah. very similar to you my parents had multiple businesses small businesses I, think I remember the gas sort of station what your too parents, yeah the gas station they had the motel they had a few mm-hmm. other ones and you know that meant basically constantly working constantly yeah. being on the job and it meant us you know as kids also working you know answering phones at the motel folding mm-hmm. laundry mm-hmm. you know opening the doors for people you know taking stuff to people if they needed it and it sounds like not much but when it's a daily thing, it absolutely ends up affecting your life. So I had thought when I started parenting is I was like, oh, this will come to me. I'll figure it out. And it turns out that there isn't like this secret handbook in your brain that gets unlocked when you have kids. Mm-hmm. Like you, you actually do have to be a little bit intentional and think mm-hmm. about it. And so that's something that I've been trying to do more of. You know, an example is I'm going on this three-week tour, and this time my older son is old enough to sort of get and receive emails. And so I'm going to be sending him daily emails just to kind of let him know, hey, what's going on? This is what's happening with me. This is what I'm traveling to. This is the interesting thing I learned about this place, and this is the Mm. funny thing I saw, in the hopes (laughs) um, that it will sort of help him understand what it is I do and maybe why I do it. Yes. And also inspire him too to see that you have a dream and you go after it and you're making it happen. Exactly. Because that, I think that has a big impact on kids, you know, knowing that hard work is a fact of life. Yes. You know, and that it's something that they'll be expected to do. I think that's probably, we talked about this a little bit last time, but that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest gift my parents gave me is, is working hard yes. and helping me understand that that is a fact of life and that it is sort of the natural way of things as opposed to, you know, you get a free lunch kind of thing, yes, you know? Yes, um, and it, yes. it absolutely is the, the immigrant mentality, but I'm actually incredibly proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I would feel great shame if I didn't work for what I had. It would yes. be embarrassing to me. And, I, yes. and that's something I found with many immigrant communities is this idea that like, if you, I don't know, if you inherit your money or if you, mm-hmm. you know, make it too easy or whatever the case may be, it's almost like a, like something to be a little bit embarrassed about. Like, this is oh. so funny you brought this up. I literally just had a conversation with this author, Min Lei, and yeah. we were talking about the same thing where we're talking about what our parents have done for us to set that example of hard work has been an incredibly huge gift for us to have that as an example growing up and then to go off from that foundation and leap from there. We feel like we need to, we have this pressure to, accomplish 
way more than they they did. You know what I mean? There's almost this expectation I know from my my parents, like my my mom's like, hey, if I had the opportunities that you had, you have no excuse. Like that's kind of like the way I was raised with that kind of um, upbringing and that mentality. My mom's always like, you know, we're not one of those parents who have like, like, you know, millions and millions of dollars to just throw at their children and all that. Like, you know, you have to work for what you have. You have to work for it. And it's so true. And when I was talking about it with Min as well, when I moved out to LA, I met a lot of trust fund babies. And I was like, wait, what? Like, this is a thing. Like you would think, right. I was like, I was like, wait, holy crap. Are you, you just sit around each month and wait for a check and you're using that money to buy weed that's it you're not doing anything else with your life and you're already almost 40 wait what it's is this crazy. serious it's so crazy it I mean, boggles I my mind about, like right like I was thinking about like what I could do with that and I remember yes. that and it, it's, it's really fascinating because it's actually some of my closest friendships are with people who when they were younger also struggled or their parents struggled, right? Because there's like this intrinsic understanding between you that what you have now can be taken away. You have to work for it. I mean, you put in blood, sweat and tears for it. And so you value it. And I, I have my college roommate was such a great example. We both were like scholarship grant babies. We had to make sure we had certain grade point average so that we could get the grant the next quarter. And we both had work study and we both had like two jobs at the same time. And I I still remember going out with a group of friends and um, they're all buying drinks. And, you know, I ordered, you know, I genuinely didn't have money in my account. So I ordered like a water and they were, you know, some of them were sort of teasing me. They're like, oh, like, you know, we know you don't drink, but like, can't you even, you know, like order a Coke or something? Why are you such a stick in the mud? And it was so embarrassing, but I couldn't, I didn't want to say anything, you know, I was just like, and so I just, you know, I was just like, yeah, you know, I am a stick in the mud, but my friend was the same. She did the same thing. You know, and then, you know, we both walked home and we were both really quiet as we walked home. And I was just like, I'm really glad you were there because Mm -hmm. I would have felt terrible if I had been alone. And it's it is one of those things that I think you immediately understand. It's also something and I wonder if you've experienced this, that when you're in a place like, for example, I was just at BookCon. Um, which is this huge, you know, book conference where, you know, fans get to come in and meet readers and stuff. And as I was there, you know, I was walking out of a a black car, like a, you know, sort of a really nice car that they use to drive authors around, Mm -hmm. um, walking into a convention center and then being escorted to, you know, my panel and my line and treated super special. And it was like this incredible experience, but it also boggled the mind that it was like, wow, I got all the way from where I was Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. here. And I just, I cannot believe that arc. It's, there's so many things that could have gone wrong, yes. you know, yes. but it seems like a miracle, you know? So when I'm sitting there and I'm signing books for people, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, you know, you hear this all the time, but I love your book. And it's like, I don't think that they know. And I don't know if I'd ever be able to explain how much it means that these people read my books, that mm-hmm. they come and stand in line, that they want to meet me, that they want the book sign. Like it is such a vast difference between that life and sort of the life I had that it yes. it really is mind boggling. I'm curious about your experience with that. Did you have that experience or? Uh, yes, I've had that experience through acting. And um, it's, it's funny that you mentioned 
your mind being boggled, being so self-aware at that moment when you're sitting there signing and hearing and and absorbing what your readers are telling you. And it's so, it kind of like makes you feel like it's an out-of-body experience, right? Because that's how I felt where I'm just like, who, me, that kid who got picked on in, in elementary school, got made fun of, whose first language was Taiwanese, even though she was born in America, in New York, uh, who had to be sent to ESL class. Like the one who, um, you know, was called like really mean names, like whether it's yeah. ugly or whatever, like me, like you want my autograph? Like what? Right. You know, what? I get, exactly. it's like, it's like, so for me, I'm just like, wait, where are we at right now? But also, when it boggles my mind, but you know what? The thing is, I thought my mom would have the same reaction where she would be like, what? But she was more so like, you just keep focusing on your work. This is something that comes with the work, but you keep going because at any moment, at any given day, this can be taken away if you are Mm -hmm. lazy or you choose not to put in the work. But then I saw my mom she came to LA for a movie premiere and it was her first time walking down the red carpet and she saw like she actually was there on the carpet and doing the thing and like seeing and, and having my dad there and my my sisters my dad has extreme like anxiety too he gets really shy around uh-huh. people because he can't really speak English but I think mm-hmm, seeing mm-hmm. my dad like showing up as well by her side like I could tell she was really like wow like she did have that almost out of body experience like holy crap like we came from Malaysia husband came from from Taiwan. And Mm -hmm. it's like to have this, and my dad grew up on a farm, you know, like he had, there were five people in his family and they all shared one egg. That's just an example because his dad passed away when he was 13. So he had to drop out of school. He couldn't finish schooling, like regular basic education that we call quote unquote basic in America. Uh, my dad couldn't go to high school. I don't even know if he finished middle school. Um, and he had to go out and work to help support the family. So when you think about that, it's just, and I'm sure the same thing from your parents, what they did, what they had to do to hustle their butts off to get here when they were from young till now, like just to know that their kids, their, their generation, their offspring that they produced are like, doing the thing like they're living the american dream you know what i mean like there's no way this would have happened in my my parents countries there's no way no way no No way way. it's it's absolutely crazy i think about the same thing you know my father was born in this like tiny village in pakistan he showed me where he was born and it was like you know there was like chickens like running or you know running yes, around in the yes. place where he was born and there was mud everywhere mm-hmm. and there was cows and they're all skinny and you know it's just it's a completely different world and he was the first person to leave and like all the things his father had to do to get him an education I mean it was it was back crazy it was like you know he was sent away to get the best possible education because he was the oldest of seven kids oh, wow. and it was sort of like okay you're you're the one you know you got to go do it And, you know, eventually my father's going away helped my other uncles and stuff get out too. But Mm -hmm. he tells me the stories of all the things he had to deal with by himself. He moved to a new country. He didn't, he moved to England when he was 15. He didn't know anybody. He didn't have any help. He couldn't speak the language and he had to get his master's degree in engineering. (gasps) And it's just, that was his duty. That's what he had to do because that's what his father had given up everything for. And then I think about everything he went through. And then of course he moved to America with my mother 
you know, looking for more opportunity, looking for, you know, better pay, better jobs, better opportunity for us kids. And then he essentially found that he was back at square one. He had to buy a business. He couldn't work as an engineer because the jobs weren't there. Right. You know, citizenship wasn't there. Racism you know, also. To, racism Do not forget racism. Huge, oh, yeah, absolutely. Racism was a huge part of it. You know, I remember my parents, you know, telling me about how they try to get a business loan and being told no for the most ridiculous reasons. They still Jeez. remember the name of the guy who ended up giving them a loan. <gasps> Oh my like they gosh. still remember his name because that is what a huge impact he had wow. on their life. And it always baffles me when I hear whether it's through conversation or just out in the world when people say, well, Asians don't really deal with, with racism. I've oh, heard that before. Wow. And, and it, it absolutely <laughs> that pisses me off <laughs> because I'm like, have you any idea? It's a different kind than other types of prejudice mm-hmm. or racism. There are so many different kinds, sadly, of prejudice in this mm-hmm. world. There's, you know, there's ableism, there's homophobia, there's yes. Islamophobia, there's people who are anti-black. There are people in my own Asian community who are anti-black and like yes, denying that true. is just stupid. But I definitely think that Asians and immigrants in general, when you don't speak the language, when you're seen as being sort of part of the problem, you, you know, you take the jobs, you get it from all quarters, including other people of color. You are getting attacked from all sides because you're so different. You have an accent. Your culture is different. You don't celebrate the same holidays. You don't eat the same food. Like everything about you is other. Yes. And that comes with a whole different can of worms, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's just different. It's not worse or better or any, it's just, it's different mm-hmm. to me. And I think anytime I've heard that, I sort of think back to all the stuff that happened in my youth and not just words, I mean, violence, physical violence. And it, it makes no sense to me. And it hasn't, you know, it hasn't changed that much. I was just at BookCon and at a panel, a woman stood up and she was white and she has a half Pakistani, half white daughter. And she said, you know, my daughter has been dealing with so many issues at school. Would you be willing to tell me a story of something that happened to you and how you dealt with it to give her a little bit of hope? Now, first of all, I was like, oh, my God, like, don't cry, Saba. Like, you got to keep it together. Right. Um, but the other thing was, is it hurt me that that's happening in this day and age. Yes. And I, you know, I told her a story um, of something that had happened and how I dealt with it. And then she came up afterward with her daughter, who was absolutely beautiful. And she said, my daughter doesn't think she's beautiful. And <gasps> oh, my God, it what was, a cry. Uh, it was so sad. And all I could say was, one day, you're going to get away from there. You're going <gasps> to get away from these people. You're going to get away from this place. And your life will begin in a different way. And that's not to say you're never going to deal with this again. You, like, 100% will, but it will get better. That's all you can say. But it felt so inadequate. Can I ask you if you're comfortable with sharing that story that you shared with her? Sure, yeah. Um, So there was this kid when I was in high school. It might have been my last year of middle school or first year of high school. I I can't quite remember which one now. But he used to follow me around and shove me in the hallway. What? And he used to call me names and he used to like threaten me. Like he used to tell me he was going to kill me, um, that what he was going to f- hurt me. Like he was the worst. He was just such a, he what was such a horrible, ass. and he was one, and he was one of many. I mean, there were, he was not the only one, but he was the one I remember most clearly because he didn't let up. 
Um, and his, his whole thing was, you know, kind of doing it in a sneaky way where I wouldn't see him. So it would always be when there were a lot of other people around. I remember being in PE and it was like this musical chairs thing that we had to do. Cause it was, you know, one of those weird PE things you have to do. And he, whoever he, you know, I mean, I know who it was, but he got up and he shoved me and I didn't know I fell down. <gasps> um, I knocked into a chair and fell down and I got up and I looked around and all what the kids the around fuck? me, I w- and I said, I said, who was that? And, you know, he had sat down by then, because by the time I'd like picked myself up, you know, he had sat down. And none of these kids, none of these kids who went to my school who were all around me, none of them gave them up. They all just stared. Wow. You know, they all just stared. None of them said anything. And, and I remember that so clearly. And I remember what I had to do and what I told her my solution was. Is I, told, I didn't tell anyone about this until eventually I told my best friend or she found out about it. And she was, and I joked about this in, on the panel too, she was very fond of weaponry. Um, <laughs> and she, she had weaponry at home. And she oh used to go to the gun range. And like, you know, she was just, she was the character I based Helene off of. Just a very, very loyal friend. Oh, a yes. very good friend. And she found this guy at some point after school. And she walked up to him and she basically said, if you say anything, if you touch my friend again, I'm going to do bad things to your nether regions. <laughs> you oh my know? God, yes. And she scared him off. And it was like, I didn't have the courage to do that at that time, but she did. And sort of what I was trying to say with this was not just turn to your friends when you need them, but be that friend. Yes. Be that friend to somebody. Be that person who helps them out. Understand when they can't stand up for themselves because we can't always do it. Sometimes it's too scary. It really is, especially when you're like 14. Yes. You know? <laughs> It's just too scary. So yeah, but it was it was really sad to hear that that was still happening. You know, oh, I know. It Do you mind me asking really quickly, sidetracking? Is this the same friend that came over to your home and made that comment about how delicious your mom's food was yep. and how lucky you same are friend. because her mom doesn't really cook at home? Didn't cook. Yep, <gasps> same friend. Oh my exact god, I just yep. got chills. Oh, I'm so I'm really genuinely so happy that you had someone like her. She was. She was your person growing no, up. No, she was. She I was. Mean, she was a total gift. I mean, our friendship eventually outgrew. fell by the wayside. Right. You know, we, we outgrew it, and she just took a very different path in life than me. But I have wondered for a long time how to sort of thank her. Right. You know, like, I, like what, however it might be. And I actually, I think it's a, it's a book in the future that I'll eventually write about a friendship like that. Not obviously mm. the exact same thing, but a friendship like that where – the only thing that saves you from, from, from just giving up is one person. Agreed. You know, and, and I think that often I don't, I don't know if we realize that one person really can change everything. It's such a cheesy concept, you know, it's like, oh, one person can change your life. But it's really, so true though. It's so true. It's, it's true. It's true. And, you know, I always try to, and, you know, practice this in life, but also when people ask for advice, share it with them. You never know someone's story. So try to be a good friend to them. How do you teach this to your children? Um, Generally, I mean, so far, it's mostly just about teaching them to be kind, Mm -hmm. um, teaching them to be thoughtful. But the biggest thing is when they come to me and they say, you know, this child did this to me Mm -hmm. or he said so and so or whatever. I usually try to tell them, you know, so often this isn't about you. It's not about something you've done. It's particularly when it's something that comes out of the blue. Right. Yes. So my son told me that, you know, there is a little kid at school. My son plays four square and he's in third grade. And he plays with fifth graders and he plays with first graders. And it's sort of like a group game that they play at recess. 
And he'd said that a second grader who had always been friendly with him was was really um, really vicious, you know, at, at lunch or wherever, whenever they were playing. And he was really nasty and saying mean stuff. And my son was kind of taken aback. You know, he wasn't like hurt or anything. He was just like surprised. He was like, yeah, usually he doesn't say stuff like this. And it was super weird. And so first of all, I was impressed that he was able to not be angry, but be concerned. Hmm. Right. You could wow. tell that he wasn't like that kid's a jerk. He was more like, oh, I hope he's OK. You know, wow. he understood sort of intrinsically that it was probably that there was something wrong. It gave me a chance to say to him, hey, man, you don't know what's going on with his life. You know, maybe something happened at home. Maybe someone got mad at him. Maybe he has an older sibling who who snapped at him and then he felt like he had to snap. You know, I was like, think about how you feel, you know, if I, you know, if I yell at you because you do something bad or wrong or naughty and how it makes you feel. Of course you feel guilty, but you're also angry. You're angry that you've gotten mm-hmm. in trouble. Then you t- often take that anger out on your little brother, right? By like snapping at him or, or being like, you know, get out of my face or, you know, yeah. whatever. And I was like, you know, this might be the same thing. So that's that's how I try to do it. But it, but it is a case-by-case thing because sometimes yes. people are just assholes. Yes. You know what I mean? That is They're true just, as well. And, and that is and Do that you is bring that up well. as well to your sons? I do. Okay. I tell them, I'm like, you know, sometimes people, and I don't, I don't say assholes, but, um, I say, you know, sometimes I do. <laughs> some some humans are donkeys. Bad, that's all. Some, some humans are jerks. You know, so yes. I said, you know, some people are just mean. They're just mean. And if you find someone who's generally not very nice and who's mean to you for no reason, yes, they might have something going on, but that doesn't mean that you don't stand up for yourself or yes. for your brother, Yes. you know, or for your family. You still have to stand up for yourself. And you never know. There is the opportunity to say, hey, you know, you seem pissed off all the time. Are you okay? Mm. And sometimes that works. And people are like, actually, you know what? I do have a problem. I have done that with people where they're sort of, they just seem really angry. And yeah. I'm like, like it actually happened at my kid's daycare with a woman who worked there. She was always just super mad. And she was like kind of nasty to the kids. And it was just, it was super weird. And I remember I, one day I asked her, I was like, are you okay Cause you seem mad all the time and I don't, you know, I don't want to make you feel bad, but at the same time, it gets kind of affecting my, my child and it makes him feel bad. And she just kind of paused and she started talking to me about sort of what was going on in her life. And it was really hard. There was wow. no question. She was going through a hard time, but I think it just made her aware that she was taking that out on children. Um, not in like a physical way, you know, she was just right. you know, snapping and being short tempered, but that had an impact. And kudos to you for bringing it up so, so kindly. That's very inspiring. I mean, it's, I I have to be completely honest. That is not always the case with me. Sometimes I am like, what's your problem? You know, like (laughs) I absolutely lose it. But someone did that for me one time. It was an Mm. older woman and I was like some rando place. Like I was at like Target or something. Right. And I was buying um, medicine because my son was a baby. My younger son, when he was sick, he was, when he was little, he was sick all the time. So I was buying like, you know, baby Tylenol and stuff. And I hadn't been sleeping and I was really tired and like all the things, sort of generic stuff you hear about parenthood when you're, you know, you got a sick kid, especially when they're an infant. And I'm standing there and like someone cut in line and I was just like, (gasps) excuse mm -hmm. me. Like I was pissed off, you know? And the guy was like a total jerk and he was just like nasty. He went ahead of line and got out and I was like steaming, like, you know, really, really frustrated. And the woman behind me is this much older woman and she was just like, hey, 
that was really rude of that guy. Are you okay? And oh I was gosh. like, I almost wanted to cry because it was like such a kind thing to do. Yeah. And she was like, you know, do you have a sick child? You're, I saw you're buying medicine. I hope you don't mind. And I was like, oh yeah. It's like, you know, he's, I was like, it's not serious, but it's just, you know, I haven't slept. And just having another human treat me as a human was like an eye-opening experience. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, which is terrible. It's a terrible thing to say that being, you know, treating someone else as a person is eye-opening, but it is. It's often why, so often when there's like any drama on Twitter or anything, I try to stay out of it because I'm like, you know what? I don't know what your thing is. I don't know your story. I don't mm-hmm. know what you were going through. I am just, I'm staying out of this. I'm mm-hmm. not getting into it. If someone at some point has an issue with me, I always prefer they approach me personally as opposed to like putting me on blast, you know? So I kind of try to do the same thing to other people. And I think it does all tie to seeing people as people, right? Yes, absolutely. But also consider all the times where we are not seen as people, right? So that gets frustrating too. Like it it, it is one thing to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to, you know, be kind. And then there's something else when you're nice and you're kind over and over and over again, and it doesn't matter and it doesn't have an impact because at that point it's not getting you anything. Mm. And then you, and then you've got to start fighting, you know, and that's just how it is. I mean, in my opinion, obviously I'm, you know, my, no, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. You know, kindness isn't always what's called for. And I think that's a really important distinction too, is that there are many cases in which it is important and many cases in which, you know what, honesty is what's called for. It's about the nuance of being kind to a person who may be a jerk to you. That is not the same thing as if somebody is saying offensive things that you like, I don't believe you have to be kind in that case. I absolutely do not. And that's another thing I've tried to teach my kids is that, you know, someone is being horrible. You fight back. And I think that it has been the case where I wish more people would fight back. I wish more people would stand up to that relative of theirs. That's like a complete bigot and say, I don't care if it's how you were raised. I don't care if it's what you've been taught. I don't care what your history is with prejudice and bigotry. You need to change it. I know that conversation is happening, but it's like particularly with people who are not people of color, I think that that is an important conversation that allies need to have. Yes, yes. You know, they need to have and say, you know, you cannot treat LGBTQ people like this. You cannot treat disabled people like this. You cannot treat immigrants like this. You cannot treat black people like this. You cannot, you know, you cannot treat Muslims like this. Like you, you have to be better than this. And I think it's so important that those conversations happen. And that is where I believe respect is important, but I don't think that kindness does jack. (laughs) Yes. Agreed. No, I agree with that. And also there's only so much that we can say as well, being minorities and also women and also no no one's going to listen. They won't ever understand our hardships or what we've been through or what our families have been through or the sacrifices. So it really does take allies like they're like, I don't want to say they and us because that's, you know, but it is it is realistic where white people saying these things, for example, the ones who are uh, full of hatred and bigotry, their family members do need to stand up or their best friends or their loved ones that that they feel like they can truly connect with and like almost mirror themselves and they're like oh dude wow if you're thinking that then man I must be a dick you know what I mean like that's where it really happens I this is something I always have at home like I mean anything 
that, you know, conversations that really like rub me the wrong way at home, even if it's my elders, I will go forth and just squash right? that shit. Oh, I do. And we absolutely. end up in huge arguments. This all- absolutely. Well, just, you know, I, I think about, you know, within, um, so I'm thinking about specifically the South Asian community, you know, yep. homophobia, yep. anti-blackness, yep. you know, anti-Semitism. Like these are things that are real things in the community. Like I would love for them to not be real. It would be awesome, but that's a lie. They're a real thing. And those are things that just like in the white American community, people need to stand up in our own communities we need to be able to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. Yep. These assumptions you have are wrong. These stereotypes that you subscribe to are wrong. These things that you say are wrong. And it's like, I totally get exactly what you were saying, this idea of like, you know, your elders and stuff. But what you do, I think is, is important. And I would hope that other people would do it too, that even if you're offending your elders, mm-hmm. that is how things change. Yes. Otherwise, they're not going to change. You're just Mm going to keep, you know, out of a desire to not offend and a desire to sort of keep the (laughs) status quo, you will keep the status quo. Because the truth is, we've all benefited from people who fight. Mm -hmm. You know, every every Asian person in this country, every every Muslim, you know, we've all benefited from the fact that African Americans took the brunt. I mean, they took all of the pain of the civil rights movement. I mean, they're the ones who did yes, the work. Yes, true. And we're the ones who benefit. And the absolute least we can do is to make sure that our own communities treat them like human beings and see them like human beings. Yes. That they treat them with, you know, with the humanity that they deserve. Like, it's just such a strange idea to me that we wouldn't do that. And I'm talking about with all groups, not just African-Americans. Like I said, there's a lot of anti-Semitism, there's homophobia, there's all these things that we sort of kind of ignore, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you might hear something at a party or you might hear one of your cousins say something and you just, you let it go. Because it's I like, think oh, also the problem, yes, easier to let it go. But also the problem is people not having the confidence in themselves. I think it's combined with them not believing that they can even make a difference. Our allies need to stand up and say something. And even if that means missing out on a calm, peaceful family dinner. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like that, that sacrifice in orders worth is worth it just so that other humans can be treated decently with dignity. So your evening of peace and quiet with a glass of wine, it's not a big deal if you lose that one evening because you'll, you'll Agreed. be okay. You guys are going to be okay again. And I, people need to believe in themselves more that yes, I can make a difference. My one person, look at your best friend growing yeah. up. Agreed. She is one person, one person in your life growing up, and she made that huge of a difference. Yep. These conversations need to happen. It all starts at home, and you do have the power to make change, you, you as one person. I'm yeah. so grateful that we had this conversation. Me too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really sorry. I have a call at 1245. Yes. Oh my gosh. Calling. Yes. Okay. Of course. This, this went by in like no time. I like, know. It's just <sighs> disappeared. As usual, it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, you so much for your time. And please tell everyone where they can find you. I'm sure they're already following you. But just as a reminder, just in case, where can they find you online? The best place to find me is Instagram. I'm at Sabah Tahir. It's at S-A-B as in boy, A-A, T as in Tom, A-H-I-R. Um, and the same thing, I'm the same everywhere, Twitter and Facebook. And you just, you know, you'll find the, the little blue check mark and that's me. Amazing. Um, but, but Instagram is usually the best place because that's where I'm my most authentic, crazy, <laughs> like ridiculous self. So I love it. I'll, I'll meet new people. And thank you again, Yin, so much. This was incredible. Thank you and so much. I really look forward forward to it. And that wraps up our episode with Saba Tahir.
Saba, thank you so much for yet another deep and heartfelt conversation on the podcast. You always get right to the core of things that make us tick as human beings. And thank you for sharing your stories and experiences. I feel like I've grown a step further as a person just by having that conversation with you. And a very happy book birthday and huge congratulations on the release of A Reaper at the Gates. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please be sure to stop by Saba's show notes page because we included our favorite quotes. And if you're planning on listening to this episode again, we also have the highlights from the conversation noted down in the show notes page along with the timestamps. So head over to 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash Saba dash to here to check it out. At the top of the show, I was so excited to announce that FabFitFun sponsored today's episode. I recently received their summer box, and as soon as I saw the beautifully designed box with pops of yellow, lilac, and orange, I had the biggest smile on my face. It's filled with awesome products like this crazy new device that cleans your face while it measures your skin hydration level. Now, my absolute favorite item is this spray that protects your hair from up to 450 degrees of heat. Most of y'all know that I bleach the hell out of my hair when I try turning it platinum silver, and now my hair is so damaged. So I've been using the spray every single time before I blow dry my hair and it really helps. One extra special touch that I love is FabFitFun's very own newsletter. There's a section in there that features favorite summer memories and it made me so nostalgic about my own travels and annual road trips and camping trips. And just a side note, that newsletter was specific for the summer box. Your box has a newsletter that'll feature something else that's really cool. FabFitFun's seasonal subscription box is normally $49.99, but our community of storytellers gets to save $10 off your first box by using the code T at checkout over at FabFitFun.com. When you treat yourself to a box using the code T, you're also showing your support for 88 cups of tea. Don't forget to check out FabFitFun.com for more details. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.